Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast with your host, Rajan Nanavati. Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast. I'm Rajan, and I'm back with Hail to the District's own Patrick Rice for part two of our 2018 Washington Redskins preview podcast. So jumping right in, Patrick, uh, ready to talk about more Redskins stuff? I am indeed. Pretty excited about a pre- uh, season's, I think, what, 10 days away? Something like that, yeah. I can't believe Labor Day is already around the corner. It feels like it's every year flies by, or the summer flies by. But um, good and bad thing, good thing, because football's coming around the corner. Bad thing, because it's literally, we aren't even through August yet, and I saw pumpkin spice everything over the last 24 hours, and I'm, I want to throw something. It's ridiculous. Like, at least let us have these last few weeks of summer. Yeah, well, but, good, thing, good, thing right, only, uh, good thing it's only 100 degrees. Yeah, exactly, right? It's literally like 94 degrees outside, and everyone's bitching about it. I'm like, this is magical, but that's me. <laughs> Um, so if you missed part one of our two part preview podcast, um, Patrick and I are covering what we think are the 10 most important storylines of the Redskins season in no particular order, maybe some loosely, but no real particular order. Uh, we covered po- topics 10 through number six in part one of the podcast. So if you missed the previous episode, make sure you go check that out. And we're here to start with number five through number one today, if you will put it that way. Uh, and we'll start off with a position group that didn't get a ton of coverage this off season, but in my opinion, I think it would actually be something of a secret strength on this team. And that's actually the tight end position. Now, I'll start this off by saying, Pat, I know you're a little more bearish. You're a little more pessimistic on Jordan Reed than I am, or I think you are. So I'll hand this off to you to start, and then I'll kind of provide my thoughts. Yeah, um, I, think, I think you and I are going to differ a little on this. Um, look, there, there's, no mistaking, there's no mistaking Jordan Reed's talent, I think. Um, you know, if, if you watch two seconds of football or even play fantasy football, you know, Jordan Reed's a freak athlete who, when he's on the field is great. Um, and this may be, this may be a little bit of my, of, uh, being the son of a neurologist rubs off on me a little bit. Uh, but the, you know, I, as much as, and as crazy as he's, he's done it once. Um, you know, every year he's hurt. He's, he's basically, um, you know, he can, he can do everything you want on the football field. I think two years ago, three years ago, whatever year it was, we won the, uh, won the East, you know, he had 11, 12 touchdowns. Um, so obviously the, the talent's clearly there. It's just like, he's never on the field. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, do we just trade him for the value or do we, do we hope and pray that we get 13, you know, 14 games out of him. Um, I mean, I love Reed. You know, I think he's a great player. I just, I don't trust him. I trust Doxon more than I trust, uh, trust Reed at this point. You know, I think last year he only played in four or five games uh, and that's kind of become standard. And now he's had surgery on both feet, hasn't played a down um, in the preseason. And, and, you know, that's obviously the trend that we're seeing in, across, across football. In fact, I don't think McVay played his entire offense one down uh, in the preseason, but, yeah, they got a lot of Sean Mannion in the preseason. Yes, um, I just I have a, I have a hard time getting behind Reed because uh, you know I, I know my heart's going to be broken. He's a porcelain doll. He's he's going to line up in the slot, run this great route, catch a great pass, and he's going to be out for six games. Um, and you know, it's, it's, go for it. No, I was going to say totally fair. There's nothing that I can fundamentally disagree with you. Like from a factual standpoint, I can't debate you. I'm just going to you know, channel my inner Homer and say, I love Jordan Reed. I'm a total sucker for 
like comeback stories and like injury um, rehabilitation and coming into the season healthy. I know Reed is not coming into the season healthy. Um, you touched on it, the two off season, the off season surgery on both his feet rather. I mean, literally there was this bit about something in the off season where he mentioned he had to actually teach himself how to run properly again. And his gait was so messed up because of the botched or misdiagnosed or overworked foot injury from last year that like he literally had to like figure out how to run and properly torque himself. Um, I, I just, I'm always a bet on talent guy. You know, I, I, sometimes it works out. A lot of times it doesn't work out. And you, t- you said it again. I mean, in my opinion, if you want to say, like, I, I would, in an objective stance, if he was healthy all the time, and I know it's a colossal if, the only tight end I would say give me 16 healthy games over Jordan Reed is Rob. It's Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski. Like, that's it. Like, now, again, call me a homer. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that might be a homer statement. But, like, objectively speaking, who would you rather have 16 healthy games of right now. Maybe Travis Kelsey, I disagree, but because I think Reed is a bigger, stronger guy than him and probably a slightly better blocker because Kelsey doesn't block at all. And then there's nobody else really. I think you take a big step down from the tight end position. Um, you touched on it. We're only two years removed from 87 catches, 950 yards, and 11 touchdowns. And that's in 14 games. He was a monster two years ago. Um, last year, so I, I hate the projection game and I know it's, it's very, very like, uh, you know, you can't do it. Like you can't take the seven game sample or whatever it was this year, but in seven games, hold on, I'm pulling up the stat. He, if you project out his stats over the course of a season, it was ridiculous. And again, you can't say that for like, you know, because he only played in whatever games. So he played in, in, uh, in six games last year and he was banged up. If you project six games over 17 games last year, he would have had 72 catches which would have been fifth most among tight ends in the NFL. I know a ton of that doesn't really mean anything, but I don't know. I, I just, I really, I think if, assuming he gets, a, get, give me the 90, 95% by a couple of games in. And I think he could have a really, really big year. Um, Alex Smith threw a ton to Travis Kelsey, and I can't see why he wouldn't do the same over here. So I don't know. I'm, I'm pushing a lot of chips in the, in, into the center of the table on Reed fully acknowledging everything you, you you mentioned about the injury history and that he's only done it for really one season. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think you're from a pure pass catching standpoint, I, I would even put him up there with Gronk and maybe that is the homer in both of us. Um, you know, but the reality is Reed may be the worst blocker on the team. Um, you know, yeah. the amount of holding, the amount of holding that guy, holding calls that guy's drawn is, is, you know, second to none. Um, I mean, but, he went from like a one out of ten to a two out of ten. That's my only counter argument, or maybe a two and a half out of ten on the blocking scale. It's the only reason why we have Jeremy Sprinkle on the team. Um, yeah, the you know, I, I mean, I love Reed. I I really hope he busts out. I just I, he's he's broken my heart enough now where I don't really trust him. Um, the, I do remember him saying uh, to your point earlier where he had to learn how to run again. I mean, like what? Like how how is he gonna? Yeah play a full season like give me if he gives me 12 games you know i'm cool with it um but you know i i don't know if you've ever read and if, if you haven't i'll send it to you there's a great si article that came out like last year about basically how nfl players are now too big and too fast and their um example was jordan reed he just lowered he runs full speed and bam lights out uh, you know and and i really really want him to play a full season because he, he, man, God, he's good. And you're right. Alex Smith will just, you know, pepper him. Um, and then in the red zone, like, I think, I think the two biggest fundamentals of football are, are 
can you score in the red zone and what's your plus or minus on turnover ratio? Um, and I think with Reed we're, and Peterson, uh, so to get back to the last podcast, I think our offense um, it probably is great in the red zone. But until, until he proves it to me, I'm going to remain skeptical. I think I'm putting a lot of eggs in the Jordan Reed basket just because I'm tired of seeing Vernon Davis. And I know Vernon Davis, wherever old he is, and he's probably still under 10% body fat because the guy is an absolute freakish athlete. But man, like I think Vernon Davis and the microcosm, two examples, I think, personify the Vernon Davis thing, right? Like number one, like two weeks ago against the Jets, has a couple of really nice catches, looks spry, you know, old man still got it and stuff like that. Then last week against uh, Denver, right? Yeah, he had and, a terrible game. This was my fit. Favorite part of the broadcast, Joe Theismann, who is verbal diarrhea at its finest. I mean, that guy's never made a factual statement. He will fuck up at any point. So he calls Vernon Davis. First, my first favorite statement. He calls Vernon Davis the MVP of the offense. This is the offense that features Alex Smith, Trent Williams, Brandon Sheriff, among others. And he calls Vernon Davis the MVP of the offense, which I literally wanted to throw my remote through my television. But that's fine, right? I mean, not even three Mississippis after he does that. Alex Smith throws a ball, hits Vernon Davis right between the eight and the five, and Vernon drops it. Like, drops it perfectly, right? So that's Vernon Davis' experience number one. And there's another pass. It was literally the same deep corner post-ish route. He Smith does a decent job. He probably could have shorted a little bit. But, like, I feel like Smith – I mean, uh, uh, Davis, like, shorted it. He stopped running. And it was not that far away from him. Didn't, uh, he didn't uh, lay out. I know it's just a preseason, but that's fine. And then number two was last year, right in the thick of the playoff race. I mean, you know, whatever the playoff race was at that time. Thanksgiving Day, I believe it was, against the Giants. Vernon Davis puts up an offer. And I know and I'm so salty because I started him on my fantasy team that week. And he puts up a complete offer in the game. And I'm, ever since then, I was like, I can't, enough. I, he'll, he'll have one big game and then he'll be, you know, he'll have the dropsies for the rest of it. And I'm, I'm just tired of that experience. I'm like, give me Reed. Davis is fine as a secondary tight end. Again, he's probably one of the best, like, second tight ends in the NFL if you want to look at it that way. But again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done with him. We can't keep depending on Vernon Davis. I, so maybe, like I said, I'm just overly optimistic and hoping Reed can fill in. And then Jeremy Sprinkle, you touched on him. He's interesting, but you said it best. Like, I think his skill set's more suited to be a blocker and a receiver. I think he's a really nice and deceptive guy who can catch passes, to your point again, the red zone, who, like, people are going to, like, teams are going to see him on the field and be like, oh, he's a blocker, and then he can kind of sneak out and catch a couple of touchdown passes. But that's my thoughts on, on Vernon Davis, my rant on him. Yeah, I'm surprised to hear you so hate hating on my guy Vern. I love Vern. No. Um, yeah. He, he uh, like to your point he he like he probably is the best second tight end. If you actually look at his numbers with Reed versus uh in versus Reed out of the game, they're drastic. Um I think he averages like close to 20 yards of reception when Reed is playing and about 11 yards receiving when per reception when Reed is out. Um you know, he's 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 as long as he's not the starter, he's kind of perfect for his role. Um and yeah. you know, does he does have a case of the drops? I know exactly what um, I know exactly the two plays. I watched the quarter of the first game, uh, or I guess the third preseason game against the Broncos. And you know, people said, "Well, Smith didn't look great." Well, he had two balls that should have been caught to Vern. Um, yeah, totally, totally, totally agree with that. Um, but the reality is, is like you know, for a guy that's we don't pay a ton, he's he's still running. I mean, and let's let's be real, Vern Vern's just a good looking guy. He's out there you know, smiling after every catch, like it's a freaking, uh, you know, commercial. 
Um, and you know, I, I'm a fan of him. You know, he's, he's, he doesn't complain. He shows up, um, you know, and when Vern or not Vern, when Jordan's in the game, he's spectacular. Um, so I'm cool with him. Sprinkle. I mean, I don't know who, you know, I don't know what to tell you about Sprinkle. He, you know, a touchdown last year against, um, the saints put us up two touchdowns, thought we were going to win. And then he disappeared. Um, you know, I, we haven't talked a lot about my guy, Niles. Um, I love Niles Paul. Uh, we, my, one of my skin threads, we actually call him Niles Smalley for another reason. Uh, you know, I, actually, I think it was JP Finley even today mentioned that we may make a run out of him if he gets cut. Um, oh, but, that would be fantastic. I'm all about bringing him back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think he's a huge loss. Um, especially cause like, I don't know anything about sprinkle. Uh, I think he went to Arkansas late round pick. Um, yep. But, he got you know, busted for stealing off the field at the Belk Bowl. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, he stole from Belk, which begs the question, who steals from Belk? Uh, I can tell you. Uh, Sprinkle. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Um, yeah, I mean, that, but yeah. Point, I like Vernon. Um, you know, I think we, we disagree on that a little bit. Uh, but I guess that's the reality of, of why we do these podcasts. Touching on Paul, yeah, I mean, he was he was a little bit of everything. He was a really, really um, underrated blocker. I would love to bring him back in that capacity. He played his ass off on special teams. Um, you know, he was, he was even for a guy who was a hybrid wide receiver tight end, still ran his ass off and was flying down the field, made some big hits, uh, huge blocks, and things like that. Yeah, if if it's on the if there's a potential to bring him back, you know, I know the numbers game will get a little wonky after that. Might have a shorter receiver, shorter running back, and I don't think we're gonna do the latter. Then. Um, to bring it back, I would. And I don't think that's going to cost Sprinkle because he's a fifth round pick within the last two years. So I think that's a little rich. Um, but man, if there's a way to, to bring him back, I, I'm totally all about that. And it's not just from a Homer perspective. I think he just brings a lot to the table. He's in basketball, what you refer to as one of the glue guys. Like you just need guys like that on the team. Yeah, and you know what's even more interesting is you know now that we're now that we're r- running with with Peterson, like let's just let's let's call that done at this point. Like he's going to be the starter. Yeah. Um, you know, Niles willingly will play uh, fullback, and you know, I, yeah. I know, Gruden, I know, Gruden's never kept a fullback, but you know, talk about someone who who loves throwing wrinkles in, and if he knows he can line up a fullback and get five yards of carry, why not? Um, so I, I mean, I hope Niles is available, but you know, we'll see if he can get to that point. Um, I totally agree. So kind of transitioning. So I talked, I started this the positional preview at tight end, saying it could be a secret strength. Now I'm going to move into, very ironically, what could be the strongest part of this team. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to argue that another part of the team, maybe the offensive line, but is the, is the stronger part of the team. And it's the defensive line, which if you told me that four years ago, I would have laughed at you if not threw my shoe at you. That Are you really saying that the defensive line is the strength of this team? But think about it last year when you had um, – I can't even remember who was on the right end, or it was one of the other defensive end. Maybe it was Stacey McGee, or it was just the hodgepodge of guys, and Allen and Ioannidis. And especially before Allen went down, like our defensive line was fantastic. I mean, even, you know, we started off the season get lost against Philadelphia, and then um, I can't remember now, it's all blending together who picked up the second win, and then there was a Raiders game and so forth. But they were great. We beat and the then, Rams. Yes, we beat the Rams. That's right. We went to LA and we beat the Rams. That's right. Thank you. Um, but now you add. You know, it could be the you had. Uh, I can't believe the names escaped. Duron Payne, who 
I was a little salty at the beginning when they passed over Derwin James. I'm a huge, 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 huge Derwin James fan. I'm rooting for him in LA. There's a small part of me, I'll admit, that still kind of dreams of him being in the the Redskins uniform because, as we talked about in the last podcast, I'm still not 100% sold on the safety position. But I'm increasingly happy with Theron Payne being there, especially the way he looks. you know, a lot of people didn't really talk about him or they kind of just washed over it. And the second thing, the NFL draft, he got a whole lot of no coverage and they kind of just glossed over to the next pick between Tampa picking at 12 and whoever, I think it was the Packers, are picking at 14. Um, I think as an upside for Deron Payne, the guy who I came up with was Kawan Short in Carolina, who a common football fan might say, like, oh, I don't know who that is or I don't think he's that great. He's a top seven, top eight defensive tackle in the NFL. And I think they have very, very similar skill sets. You pop him down at nose tackle for the large part of time, which has been kind of a revolving door. Um, my favorite nose tackle, which I couldn't explain why they wouldn't bring him back, was Pot Rose Knighton. Still miss that guy. Um, but, you know, as opposed to the Ziggy Hoods and the Phil Taylors, not so much Phil Taylor because he didn't play, but Ziggy Hood, I think, you know, you've got that. And then the rotation, we'll touch on that in a second. I mean, you've got fresh bodies. And then you've got crazy-ass Jim Tom Sula coaching them. I mean, shit, like, this, this is really interesting. Yeah, you mentioned if you had told me four years ago that this would be a strength. How about last year? Even with Allen, yeah, yeah. you know, this was the defensive line for the Skins. This and the safety position have been just the biggest disasters of position groups for years. Um, you know, they I think they finally realized it's one of the reasons I think uh, Tom Sula is here. Obviously, our last two first-round picks, defensive line, defensive line. Um, and now we have depth. I think – you know, I think the defensive line is is more of a strength sim- simply based off depth. You, if you looked at starters, you could probably pair the lines as our two two biggest and best uh, position groups. But all of a sudden, we like kind of have a bizarrely deep defensive line. Um, and you mentioned Ziggy Hood last year lining up uh, a defensive tackle. He's been doing that for a couple of years now. And like, yep. part of me really really hates Ziggy Hood because he just sucks. But the other part of me is like, well, he's had to play in a position that he shouldn't be playing in the first place. Put that guy at the no, edge. He shouldn't. Let him set the edge. Let him let him get after the quarterback a little bit. Let him just be kind of a grinder on the edge uh, versus, here, take two double teams and get crushed, right? Um, now we have a guy who can probably bench press a car plus about 50 people, uh, Deron Payne, who's just going to sit there in the middle. And, I, you know, I, I admittedly haven't watched much preseason because I just don't care about it. But the few plays I have seen of him where he just sheds the center where, like, it literally looks like a fly, it's amazing. Um, and you add that with the way Allen already tenaciously, like, gets after the quarterback and already handle his own double teams uh, himself. And then you look at how well Ionatis, uh has has grown over the last uh, – this is his third year, I guess. Um, what, a leap. Sudden, what an incredible yeah, leap from Ioannidis. And all of a sudden you have a starting – you know, starting front, and you're like, holy hell, they're good. But then – Let's not to, let's not forget Anthony Lanier. I mean, this guy's been baking yeah. for, for for three years, and he's he's good for five sacks a year now. Um, and he's undrafted; yep. he's developed by us. And then you know, I know this is I know this probably is going to make you pretty excited. Uh, but like, we got Tim Settle in the fifth round. I thought Tim Settle was going the third round. I remember when he was Tim coming Settle was out a day two guy. He was yeah. a day two guy. I remember when he was coming out of high school. He was a four star kid. Um, and obviously he ended up at tech and, you know, I know he had kind of an up and down career, a little bit of tech, but this dude is a big boy. He might be the biggest guy on the roster. Him and Moses, I think are the two biggest. And if he like told, pulls a little Preston Smith and trims up that baby fat and then just becomes a monster. I mean, that dude could be awesome. 
Um, that's six players you have right there, and along with Ziggy and and you know Phil Taylor probably won't make the make the uh, roster. But think about that. A year ago, we were going in praying that Phil Taylor could stay healthy. He's gone two plays yeah. in the season, and now we have five guys in front of him who are all better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, echo echoing everything you just said. So I, I think the most among the uninspiring signings that we've had over the last several years, you have to argue that Terrence McLean or Terrence, Ter- 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 Terrell McLean, Terrell, Terrell McLean, McLean and, and Stacey McGee were like the most uninspiring waste of money that we've signed, you know, in, in the post Vinny Serrato era. It's like, who are these guys and why are we paying them so much? Obviously McLean is gone. Good riddance. Don't let the door hit, hit you where the good Lord split you. But McGee is still here. I think he's got one more year on the roster, but he can now settle so, into a rotation and be more of, or he's on puppet. Exactly. So he can be more of a rotation guy, which I'm completely fine with. You've got your starting three. Um, and then as you touched on Tim settle starting off as a rotation guy, fantastic. You know, the, the short yardage situations, goal line situations, that's the type of big ass body you need. Um, do I dream of Tim settle becoming the eventual motherfucking big 330 pound guy in the middle? Absolutely. That's exactly what I want. And then I'm completely fine with pain kicking outside. I think he's got that skill set. Um, I said this, I've said this many times, but my wife's an Alabama alumna. And so we watched, we watched pretty much every Alabama game that there is. And in the national championship game against, against Georgia, you shall be happy to hear you say that I'm a little more reluctant on the world high part. But um, (laughs) so um, the two best players in the national championship game, in my opinion, the two best players on the field were Sony Michelle. I can't believe they didn't give him the ball more on Georgia and Deron Payne on Alabama. Like they were the two best players on the field. I'm not even going to get into the Tua thing, but like, you know, literally they were the two best guys. And so that says a lot considering they're probably two of the most talented teams in the nation. But um, so, yeah, you get, you add him there. And as you touched on, like Lanier turned into a total, like fine total gem. You developed him. Fantastic guy. Again, another guy in the rotation. I won't call him a glue guy, but like, he's just another perfect body that you have and he's cheap which is more, even more important. So I'm, I'm extremely be- bullish on this defensive line. I, I'm super excited. Knocking on wood profusely that they stay healthy. But other than that, man, I, I just, I'm, I'm probably the part of the team I'm the most excited about. I agree. And I, I love the, the Terrell McLean. I forgot about that guy. It brings me to, yeah, to, what a bump. to my, my point of don't, don't sign Dallas Cowboy free agents, especially on Ever. the defensive side of the ball. Their defense sucks anyway. Why are we signing the players? Um, yep. Uh, Long live the Orlando Scandrick experience. Yeah, he he actually got torched this past week um, yeah. by by one of the Bears receivers. I forget who though. Um, Kevin White, who hasn't played in ten years. Was, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's who it was. Um, the last thing I'll say about the defensive line, and this is a little more broad, uh, but it is about Tim Settle. I'm very curious about Tim Settle, um, but not probably for the reason that you think. Um, so obviously. You and I are both in big time agreement that Bruce Allen is is the like he's the worst person in the world. Um, yep. I think, and I wrote about this last year. I think the the uh, power within DC, and we're going to get more into this uh, in the latter part of this podcast. But I think the power in DC is actually shifted a little more to Gruden than it is Allen, um, especially with the latest personnel moves of bringing in uh, the new COO, whatever his name was. Um, but Tim Settle from what I understand is an Eric Schaefer guy. Um, Schaefer is well known around the league. He's kind of like our, he's kind of like our McVay, but from the front office 
standpoint, like this young guy who everyone loves and thinks is amazing. Um, and it's very good. Slowly, comp, absolutely. Yeah. Slowly being groomed into this GM role that I, I like, I honestly think that's a big reason why Doug Williams doesn't have that title. And from what I understand, he like jumped on the table and said, we are drafting this guy. So if Tim Settle turns out to be great, then like that's another notch internally, I believe for Schaefer uh, and I, I believe Gruden who we'll get into, but that's just my two cents on this. Um, but I think it, I think it, I think he has a chance to kind of change the balance of power within the organization. Not saying one player will, but I think it will um, bring more clarity to the fact that uh, Bruce is an idiot and he needs people, football people actually doing their job. I was not aware of that anecdote, but if that is the case, and I have no reason to doubt you, I am now rooting even more so for Tim Settle. Um, Cause I, I love that comp, the Sean McVay type, um, I completely agree with everything. Eric Schaefer has the, the has that potential. You know, when the whole Scott McClellan fiasco went down and there was a brief fleeting rumor, which might have been true, might not have been, that Bruce Allen might leave town and go to Oakland to go, you know, sully up the Raiders even more than John Gruden's doing right now. Like when that was briefly on the table and then you had the thing, like I'm completely fine with Doug Williams being the public mouthpiece, but Eric Schaefer being the brains behind this operation. I mean, that might be what the ultimate long-term plan is anyway. Um, but yeah, if that's the case, even more, even more power to him. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, oh man, those Bruce Allen rumors were great. I don't like buying into stuff like that, but uh, anything that gets leaked out of Ashburn is on purpose. Um, and you know, he obviously has that relationship with John Gruden. Um, so I was, I was yep. somewhat hopeful, uh, that actually was true, but, um, you know, hope, you know, who knows, maybe it'll happen within this next off season, but, uh, the sooner that guy gets out of here, the better. Um, so while we're on the topic of that turd blossom, um, let's talk about the move that he made, which pretty much, you know, sealed the deal because he can't pronounce the old guy's first name and brought in the new guy instead. Um, Alex Smith. We'll just go ahead and jump right Kurt. into the crux of this season. Kurt, is it Kurt with a T? Kurt with a U? Um, <laughs> Nobody knows. So Alex Smith, all right? I think you have to ask the question. You know, right now we're totally in the new girlfriend phase. You know, we've got all the things about the old girlfriend. We hate, you know, she was terrible. Everything about her sucks. We have the new girlfriend. Everything about her is fantastic. And we, uh, there's no good memory from the old one. And everything about the new one is magic, right? We're in a little bit of that honeymoon with Alex Smith. Um, but if you try to take a step back, did they really truly get better at the quarterback position? Just asking, I'm not, it's not a loaded question in one perspective or the other. There's a, you have to ask that question, especially considering there's a, what, seven or eight year age difference. Shit, maybe like 10 years. Um, that's about seven or eight years age difference. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, Alex Smith, yeah, everything last year was great. You know, have, first half of the year MVP candidate, uh, ridiculous touchdown interception ratio. In fact, I don't think he threw an interception for the large portion of the early season. Maybe it was like one or two at the most. Um, stats kind of regress back to the normal. But if you look at the course of his career, his yards per throw are terrible or not very good. And consider this: this is one of my favorite stats. Alex um, Alex Smith only threw for twenty five touchdowns one time in his career, more than 25 touchdowns. And that was last year in his MVP year. Kurt did it. Kurt, is his name Kurt? He did it for two out of the three years as a starter that he was here. Now you can argue chicken reg is it the offense or is it the player? But I mean, I think that speaks to a little bit. Now I'm just curious. And we're both Kirk guys. Like I like Kirk, Kirk with a K. You know, I did like him. I did in my heart of hearts want him to stay being completely honest. I'm 
happy that the melodrama is over. I think one of the big things that the acquisition of Smith does is it brings stability. It stops everyone from asking the players, what do you think about the quarterback? What about his contract not signed? Are you comfortable with his contract not signed? What happens to free agency? Like players get tired of hearing that shit. So that's nice. But I think in the new girlfriend honeymoon, we still have to ask the question, are we a hundred percent sure that the new guy is better? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't really have a good answer for you. Um, every time I convince myself we are better, I come back to the, to the mean. And every time I start thinking that Kirk is better, I actually go back to Smith. Um, I think the touchdown, yeah. I think the touchdown stats misleading. Uh, he played for Harbaugh. Obviously they ran some zone read uh, eventually with him too. Um, he only, you know, he, he played for some really bad 49ers teams. Uh, he was number one overall pick obviously out of Utah. Um, and then when he got to Kansas city, he basically played in a bubble wrap offense, um, quick screens, get the people on the edge. Um, you know, obviously he flourished once he got Hunt in there, he flourished with Tyreek Hill. Um, but he's never been in an offense like Gruden's. Um, I don't care if Adrian Peterson is 29 and rushing for 1500 yards a year. Gruden's going to throw the ball. Um, that's it's it's in his DNA. He's going to do it. Stop, you know, fucking Chris Russell can stop bitching about it. That's going to happen. Um, the, the, so I think cousins naturally threw a lot of touchdowns because that also cousins going back to read cousins touchdown to interception ratio with and without read is, is pretty extravagant, I think. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how Smith adapts that. Cause he's, he's a little bit of a similar thrower to Kirk, um, um, as well. Cause he targets tight ends. He targets the quick screens, you know, if Thompson and Reed are on the field, I think Smith's going to be great. Um, but it's the, I said this briefly earlier and I want to allude to it now. I think we are better. And I think it comes down to one thing and it's turnovers. Um, you know, Smith doesn't yeah. turn the Smith doesn't turn the ball over a ton. Kirk had 11 interceptions last year. Uh, Smith had five. Smith lost one fumble last year. And this is a running quarterback. I mean, not running in the terms of like, he's freaking Russell Wilson or, or, or even Cordell Stewart <laughs> to pull a name of a hat. Uh, but like this yeah, guy's really. this guy's going to, you know, tuck the ball and run. He's going to take off that, throw that Jordan uh that Vernon Davis dropped he got out of that pocket he moved hit him right in the numbers yeah. that's who Smith is and the fact that he only fumbled once or I guess lost one fumble that's six turnovers in, over the course of I think he played 15 games um that like is is massive and yeah he got help from from Hunt you, you added Hunt and he was great um and hopefully Peterson can add that but I think I think you'll still get some of those check downs um I think that's natural what I think you're going to see more enhanced this year is Cousins' best seasons were when Gruden or I guess McVeigh even even you know on top of that schemed it so he get the ball out of hand so quickly and he could hit his first read. Yep. Really. I think Smith's going to get through his progressions a lot faster and he's probably going to take some more sacks. We'll probably have times where we bitch and moan, but at the end of the day, I do think we're better and I still would trade Kendall Fuller for. Him. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll pause briefly at the Kendall Fuller part and Hokies aside, but. Um, I agree, especially on the latter point you made that Gruden's game planning ability or his, his scheming ability to manipulate coverages to get a guy wide open. Um, on the Hills of the District Twitter page, we tweeted an article from Four Verticals or Four, Four Verts, the Twitter handle on SB Nation, and they were showing kind of like how they got Chris Thompson open on these routes. And if you just watch Gruden's ability to kind of manipulate the defense to move one way and get another guy just wide open, comically open in many cases, and simplify his reads, I definitely, I, I completely echo that statement. I think 
he's going to have the opportunity to attack more, to attack more down the field in a way that he might not have done, frankly speaking, at any point. And another point I completely agree with is that one thing Smith has, and I know people are a little more tepid than we are, but I think Smith's weapons in Washington right now are as good as he's any, had at any point in his career. I know a lot of people are like, well, he had the best core around him last year in Kansas City. Yeah, he had Kareem Hunt, he had Tyreek Gill, he had um, Travis Kelsey. I don't think we're that far off except with the running back position. Um, you know, Josh, Josh Dawson is not Tyreek Hill, but I don't think collectively speaking, their talent was better than our talent. There's Tyreek Hill and a bunch of guys. They weren't even guys. They were three steps below just a guy. And, you know, Travis Kelsey and Jordan Reed, my homers on the side to me is a wash. So you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, I yeah, do I mean, think – I'm just, I'm just looking at some stats right now because um, I, I wanted to see your touchdown stat. Smith hasn't thrown more than eight interceptions since 2010 and has thrown less than seven on one, two, three, four, five different occasions. I mean, the dude just doesn't turn the ball over. But, and, you know, the funny thing is Brent over at Burgundy blog, you know, I listened to, like, I listened to his podcast um, after some of the wins and losses just because he has a very, you know, he has an interesting take, and I like, I like his, his point of view. And he used to call them cuzboners or cuzbones or something like that. And it's, it's, it's a very apropos term because they are mental boners, basically. And, like, like the two – like no one's ever going to forget the interception against the Giants, the fourth throw to, to Garcon. That was a half, that was a beat late two years ago, the one that ended the Redskins' playoff hopes. And it's like it's it's just it's throws like that that make you want to pull your hair out. And why everyone, you know, there was so many fans who are like, are we we don't want to hitch our wagon to Cousins? I was you know playing this from the perspective of Cousins was the devil you know versus the devil you don't, and even to some extent, Smith is still the devil you don't. But you, you knew exactly what you had in Cousins, and he was still a top half of the quarter, top half of the league quarterback. But those interceptions absolutely just crushed you in those types of moments. And to your point, yeah, I mean, history shows that Smith is not going to throw those. <laughs> I was at that Giants game. Uh, it was. It was. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. It was New Year's Day, uh, and I believe it was the last Redskins game I went to. Um, it, yeah, that sucked. Um, and it's not even the most bonehead play he's ever made. Like, I will never – I mean, I know he won the game, but him taking a knee in week against seven the Eagles. against the Eagles and for us to have a chance to win the division. I, I remember the postgame interview or the halftime interview with Gruden. They asked about it, and he like – even he was like, I have no idea what the fuck just happened. Um, like, I don't he think, did it last year at one point, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's just – oh, my God. Take your, take your damn guaranteed money and get out of here. Uh, I, uh, I mean, I, I was, I was so pro cousins for so long. And then I watched him do the same things over and over. And I got really annoyed with his, um, you know, Oh, I, his stick where he was, you know, he's so number or like process driven, you know, it's gotta be boom, boom, boom. Well, like, dude, that's not how the real world fucking works. You know, things go wrong and you have to be able to improvise and he never has been able to. That's the reality. That's my cousin's rant for a second. Got a little heated. It was very, it was, it was very much, you know, if it's not there. And I think Smith has shown in a lot of cases that, you know, if it's not there, if it's not wide open for him, um, there's a stat from Pro Football Focus, I believe it was, or Next Gen, or one of those advanced analytics sites where, you know, Smith and Cousins were, so like Smith was, a, excuse me, Cousins was a bottom half of the league in terms of like wide open window throws or tight window throws um, in terms of forcing the ball in there and like, Smith was towards the bottom of the NFL, if not like the worst or something. I think it was second worst was the official stat. So there's a lot of people or a small handful of people, I should say. There's a lot of people who love the move, small handful of people who are like, you know, the, the check downs versus Gruden's mentality to be really aggressive. is going to be an interesting di- dynamic. 
um, the much maligned Andy Benoit of SI is the one that comes to mind. He was saying, I think it's quote unquote, that Smith's propensity to check the ball down too early is going to drive Gordon nuts. And I think there's, as much as people don't like Benoit, I think he gets a bum rap in a lot of cases, even though he says some kind of boneheaded things. Um, I think there's a big kernel of truth in that. And I think that's really, that's the biggest quote unquote storyline for me is there will be opportunities to force the ball down the field and Dotson and to a lesser extent, Reed, probably not so much Reed, but Dotson and, and maybe Richardson, they're not wide open, going to blow by you or run this magical route that makes them comically open like an Antonio Brown type of guy. Like you're going to have to force the ball in there. And I think we touched on this a little bit last time, but like when, when Cousins finally threw the ball at Dotson, even when Dotson's not open, is when Dotson started doing big things. And I think getting Smith to make sure that he does those is going to be a critical part of the season. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I know I know what you're referencing around driving crew to nuts. Uh, what Andy Bernoulli is that his name? Um, you know, he's also a champion of Cousins for sure. Um, yeah, he did like Cousins. One one thing one thing I'll, I'll say before we move on is is to your point about taking those shots downfield to to Doxon and whatnot. One of the things that that Kime, John Kime from ESPN has been like hyping up um, on Twitter. At least he was during training camp is even if Doxon was triple covered, Smith was chucking it. Um, yep. And I think and if, there was a few plays to, 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 to justify that for sure. Yeah. And I, and I think that's good. You know, I think he's trying to figure out what he's got, what he can do. Um, and, and in the game, he probably won't do that. And he's, I mean, I, I don't care that he's only played 30 snaps. The dude's been in the league for 13 years. He knows what the defense is going to give him. Um, but I think he wanted to see, well, well, let's see if this guy can go get the ball. Um, like he saw firsthand when we played in Kansas City last year. Um, so, you know, I, I think he probably will drive Gruden a little nuts. You know, to be fair, though, I think anybody would, unless it's Rex Grossman, who's just saying, fuck it. Um, you know, I th- uh, <laughs> Hello, I th- ladies, here's my long ball. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I think that's just kind of who he is as a player, but I think the um, I think Cousins was so process-oriented, I think it drove Gruden more crazy than a check down would. Yeah. So let's talk about Gruden. Um, there was guy. a little – he's your guy. Um, there's a little bit of a buzz. It was about six to eight weeks ago, I want to say, give or take. It all starts to blend together for me at this point. And there was a thing where they are basically saying that, you know, Gruden is coaching for his team this season. And, you know, as ridiculous as that might sound to some of us, I mean, considering Gruden's officially the longest tenured head coach in the Dan Snyder regime, which is insane to say – what he is. He actually surpassed the Gibbs two regime now with first regular season coach when they can more regular season games. Um, he's still 28, 35 and one as a regular season head coach over the four, over four years. He's been to the playoff one time. That was a game against the Packers where they blew up, I believe it was a 14, nothing lead or as a two touchdown lead. Cause something wonky happened on an extra point or a two point conversion or something, but they blew a two touchdown lead to the Packers in that wild card game two years ago. Um, I, I, I definitely agree with the, the point of view that a lot of people have that one Gruden is super smart in terms of his game planning. And two, he's kind of a player's coach and the players like working with him or they like playing under him. I think your point about Gruden having a lot of power here, especially because I think he is a Bruce Allen guy, like Bruce Allen hand shows him. He did a dog and pony show to, to interview a bunch of people when Gruden was the guy all along and everyone knew it. So Gruden has a lot of power in hiring guys but are those always the right choices? Like Joe Barry over Wade Phillips, Greg Minuski over guys like Mike Petton and things like in Wade Phillips and be again. Um, you know, those types of things, the jury is out. 
Um, Michael Lombardi on The Ringer, I'm a fan of his, even though he trashes the Redskins all the time and any opportunity he gets. But he cites Gruden a lot for saying, you know, lack of attention to detail. And you know, it's not necessarily a guy is a, you know, a big picture guy, but Lombardi's a big Belichick homer among others. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But, you know, when you see some of the hirings that were made this offseason, you anyone who's going to come out and say, oh, we got fired Gruden, like the one wrong thing that happens is like everyone's firing Gruden. What are you going to replace him with? See, uh, I don't know. My, I'll get to the hirings in a second because those, those – oh, man, those piss me off. Um, the, so you're, you're right about his record. I think, I think it's more 500-ish than anything. Uh, I think you can kind of toss the first year. Um, yeah, had, especially with the whole Griffin fiasco. Yeah, for sure. he had Griffin. He, had no, he literally had nothing to work with. Um, I mean, I think that was – we'd like to sign Deshaun late, but Griffin was the starter. I mean, it was just the whole, 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 whole deal. Um, you know, for, for me with Jay, I think he's finally brought a sense of like calm to, to DC. That's, that's one reason I like him. Um, he, there are things like details that he definitely does miss. He's not a perfect coach, but he's a good coach. Um, the players, I think the players love him to, to your point, you know, you'll see it all the time. Like every person that comes in and out of that park raves about how great Jay Gruden is. Um, his coaching tree continues to grow. He, I mean, plus McVay was under him for a long time. Um, Matt LaFleur. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, you know, that basically he's, he's basically one throw away from going to playoffs back to back years. Um, yeah. And I think him and, you know, I think basically what happened is I think he went to uh, uh, McLuhan uh, and said, Hey, look, like cousins needs to start. You need to figure out a way to make this happen for me. Um, and I think together they were able to strong arm them. He is a Bruce Allen guy to your point. Obviously Bruce brought him in, but uh, having said that, I don't think they see eye to eye too much anymore. Um, the reason I, I say that is, and I, I mean, I, to be fair, I'm probably making shit up here. Um, but like the, um, who was our old Joe Barry? That guy was just, a, Oh, just the worst. Like that guy was, so that guy was so bad. He didn't know that Stu Cravens just left USC and we were drafting him to play for him. And he was on that yep. staff. Um, he was the guy who recruited Craven. Yeah. It's like, dude, like how stupid you gotta be. That's our defensive coordinator. Um, I think Wade Phillips has actually come out and said a few times, like how weird it was to interview at Redskin or not get an interview at Redskin park. Um, yep. I think, I think Bruce blocked that. And I think that kind of caused a little friction. Um, but I, you know, push comes to shove. Like one, I, I really want to drink beers with the guy. Like I'm desperate to do it. Um, but two, he took a mediocre quarterback, made him fairly good. He schemed up. Um, we've won games in Dallas with Colt McCoy. Um, like yeah. the, the dude is a good coach. He hasn't had a ton of luck around the in- injury front. Um, and, you know, I, 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 it's basically why I guess he still has his job now. Um, I do think this is a big year for him. And, you know, this has been beaten to death. And I was actually razzing Grant Paulson on Twitter and got him pretty heated about this the other day. The whole, like, he hasn't won the first game of the year thing is, is stupid to me. Um, but it's true. And until that narrative switches, it's going to be a problem. And things like attention to detail are going to come up. Um, so, you know, obviously I'm pro Gruden. I think he'll be here for a couple more years. I really do. I think we kind of have to tank for him to get fired. Um, but, and hopefully, for the record, hopefully we don't. Um, but, you know, I, I think he will outlast Bruce Allen. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big J guy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, back away from that yeah i think your point about the first game of the season um i'm actually 
I'm more of the it doesn't really matter camp as well. And I know that seems ridiculous because those are regular season games and you want to win as many as you possibly can. But I think with the way the preseason is constructed and, you know, not to sound like some old football coach or something, like they just don't practice enough. They really don't. Like they just don't get enough reps in during the summer and even during the preseason because everyone's afraid of injuries, rightfully so, I might add. I always say that at this point in time, the first four weeks, I mean, shit, in a lot of cases, the first six weeks of the season, they don't mean anything. Like, you know, six weeks in the last year, the Chargers were the worst team in football and the Chiefs were the best team in football. And I mean, look where we ended at the end of the season, right? You know, among others. I mean, the Browns were always the worst team in football, but you get my point. And it's like, you know, the, 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 that first month, and obviously the first week isn't within the first month. And I think there's just so many moving parts that, you know, teams don't really officially get moving until like, you know, towards the middle of October. That's when you start to see what the team is. And I think a lot of cases, that's kind of how good teams are. They start, they trip over themselves early on. They kind of back themselves into a corner. They figure it out. And then they play strong down the stretch. And then they have a couple of shitty games. And, you know, and then they get, they're playing for their life towards the end. Unfortunately, that's been the case. And that kind of comes down to the lack of attention to detail in some capacity. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm of the same thing. Like, I don't. You asked me in terms of an A through F scale, where is Gruden as a organizational CEO? Because in my opinion, that's what a head coach is. You're a CEO of your team more than the actual CEO from a business side. I put him at a B to B minus from the CEO perspective. I think he's an A flat A type of coordinator. Um, but that's how I view him. I I'm uh, echoing the same thing. I do not want him to be fired. If it's up to him, uh, up to me, rather, we have a few more years with him because I want to see him maximize the value of Alex Smith. And maybe if we can have a season where every single player and their uncle doesn't get injured, that would be really nice too. I mean, we're already starting off this season with, you know, Jordan Reed on banged up and Darius Geis, unfortunately. So it would be nice to see one healthy year where shit breaks our way and, and we have a full capacity to see what we can do with him, with those guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I think organizational, you're probably right. I'd probably give him a B, um, you know, B minus. Um, you know, he, he does team very well. Um, you know, players come out and even say that. They're like, you know, we feel very – like, he – I mean, he's breaking he, – he's making Capri Bibbs look good. Like, the guy yep. knows what he's doing. And the last thing I'll say about the the um, the 0 and 4 opening, one, he's, he's righted the ship immediately, I think, in every year. Um, except for the first first year, uh, which I'm calling a wash. Um, yep. But like, we basically the the hard the, I think the hard part around the 0 and 4 is three of those games were at home. Um, you know, we lost to the Dolphins in a game we should have won, but we ended up going and winning the division because we got hot to your point late October into November. Um, then we then we got just shellacked by the Steelers on Monday night, which any Monday night game that's going to happen. Um, we also had Breland covering Antonio Brown. That was a disaster. Um, disaster. And then last year we lost in a pretty like the we lost the Eagles, and people forget we had the ball down four with like two minutes left to go in the game, and we kind of got hosed on a call. I'm still a little bitter about the fumble that they picked up and were sco- scored a touchdown on Cousins, um, but that team went 13 and three and won the Super Bowl. So like that's back to back really hard games, and I'm not saying like I'm not saying. You know, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best type of deal. Like that's that's reality. Um, but at the same time, I think you know we ju- we just haven't won those games, and it's like okay, people max people overanalyze it because there's only 16 of them. No one's going 16 and 0. Let's be real. Um, so I'm, I'm not I like I'm, I'm not worried about. It. I, I hope he stays too. To your point, uh, and then home someday I'll, I'll pray that he 
finds his way in this podcast and we can actually talk to him because I think he's the main. Um, but he also, he also hates Chris Russell. So like, I'm also a big fan of that. Um, so I hope he's around for a while. So here's to Gruden's point. All right. Over the, I, I'm, I'm totally with you. I, I agree with the logic. First year was a wash. I mean, the, the Griffin fiasco and everything like that and getting his footing under him. I love the point that you made that if you take away nothing from Gruden's legacy, the fact that he was able to go to ownership, especially to Danny and say, look, Griffin's not the guy. It's not the guy. We have to start Kirk. If you want to have a legitimate team, and I know McLuhan was a loud voice in the room, but if, you know, to go and to bring up that, you know, revolt for lack of a better word, that look, Griffin's not the guy. We have to start Cousins. That's a big deal. Griffin and, and Snyder were besties. We, we all know that, right? Like if for years ago, it was LeVar and Snyder who used to play chess together. And then it was Clinton Portis. And now it was Robert Griffin. Like Snyder only cares about the guys. We're going to help him sell tickets and, and be that off the face, you know, the, the face of the franchise off the field. So I agree that that was a huge uh, move for his legacy, if nothing else, whatever it ends up being here. Funny stat. So Gruden has won, has had three straight seasons, if you count this year, with seven or more wins, right? Is seven this year, eight the previous year, and nine the previous year, right? Do you know that hasn't happened since 99, 2000, and 2001? Those Norv years? Norv, the failed Norv year, the, the super, the, where we tried to buy the championship, and then Schottenheimer going, 2000, going eight and eight in 2001. So 99, 2000, 2001, the first three-year stint we had with seven or more wins since Gruden did it. So, yeah, we've had two lousy decades, but, uh, you know, it, even Gibbs didn't do that. Yeah, I mean, we, oh man, we've had so many bad years. Um, you know, it's, it's not like, obviously you never want to be mediocre. It's like kind of the worst place to be, honestly. Yeah, uh, but I love mediocrity. Yeah, yeah, you know, but at the same time, like we go into every game with a chance to win and I, I'm, um, maybe this is just me being a 30-year-old Redskins fan who's beat down, like really all I can ask for. Um, and I can, the, moment, uh, the moment I was convinced that Gruden was the guy was <laughs> – this is bad uh, – but was when he just ripped RG3 in front of the media uh, for no reason. That was, oh, my um, God. That was incredible. Um, that Tampa yeah, game. Um, yeah, other than the fact that, yeah, yeah, Robert sucked that game, but like, Man, he came out. He was like, he was supposed to drop five steps. He took a three-step drop, right? And just like yeah. out loud was like, yeah, this guy sucks. Um, and I know the players appreciate his honesty. Uh, and, you know, he was right. This is literally right after Shanahan. Um, so I was like. That's the same thing, yeah. yeah. I was like, this is my guy. <laughs> and it's funny because he's not wrong because, I mean, Santana Moss, who has been on radio shows lately over the last year or so, and he said it, he misses his words a little more, but he said, he's like, look, man, if Griffin cared as much about the playbook as he did about, you know, building his brand off the field, he could have been an entirely different quarterback. But the guy was just, you know, he was so consumed by his own brand again that, you know, he just, he, he didn't know what he was doing. And that, that Gruden press conference was fantastic. Where, and if you go back, because at that time, I, I fathomed myself that I would watch games and film and stuff like that. So I had all 22 back at that time. And I did go back and watch that. And he was right. Like, he, if you could see from my limited knowledge of being able to watch film, that Griffin was looking at the sk- progressions like backwards. Like, it was literally like trying to start a book at the last page and move backwards, you know, and, and expect it to work the same way. And he, they were 100% right about that. And I mean, you know, ironically, out of all of this, Shanahan warned them that this is what's going to happen. Like, he's just not ready yet. But hey, but is, what does he know? Not a lot. You know, said a tan, though. Right. Um, so, Going back to going back to this team and going back to the seven wins coming off eight wins coming off nine wins the previous year, the year before that, the 
if you look at the dichotomy between the NFC this year and the AFC this year, the AFC is a joke. Like you have to struggle to find six teams who are going to make the playoffs. You have to struggle to find five teams who are going to make the playoffs, simply speaking. Conversely, the NFC is loaded. You have to struggle to find six teams, like to cut the line off at six teams. Like legitimately there's 16 teams in the NFC and you can, you can write in eight right off the bat are probably going to go to the playoffs or I know there's only six spots, but like, yeah, these are legitimate playoff contenders, Philadelphia and Dallas in our division. I know Dallas is Dallas, but at least with whatever pieces of that offensive line they have left and they're still a decent team. I'll call them decent at best, right? Philadelphia defending Super Bowl champs. And I've said, I'm a little more skeptical of them than people are, but we'll touch on that another day. Minnesota and Green Bay in the North, New Orleans and Atlanta in the South. Uh, I don't like Carolina as much as some other people do, although I don't know if anyone really likes them. And then the Rams and the 49ers in the West. So those are eight teams right there. And we're not even talking about if someone like, you know, if Seattle surprises everyone and does really well, or if Carolina surprises people, or, you know, shit, if Detroit, although I don't think it's going to happen, or if the Giants, and I don't think it's going to happen, start contending and they kind of surprise people. So we already counted eight teams in the NFC where potentially vying for six playoff spots. Can we definitively say that Washington is a among that group and B better than any of those teams? I don't think we're better than any of the the top teams you mentioned, other than I I would say we could probably like, I know people are in love with San Francisco right now, but you know, and they won six games last year. I know they won five in a row, uh, but you know, Garoppolo's never been a full-time starter. So we'll see what they're really like though. (laughs) They do have Wonder Boy Shanahan over there, so who knows what will happen. Um, you know, I, to look at this, to look at this with some burgundy and gold shades on, you know, maybe it's a good thing the NFC is so stacked. Um, all these teams are yep. going to have to play each other, and they're all going to beat up on each other. Um, and I, I don't think anyone has repeated as NFC East champs since the McNabb Eagles teams did. Um, so like I think it's I think it's kind of right for the taping. I I think Dallas actually might suck. Uh, fingers crossed. I really hope they do. Um, I think Philadelphia. You know, to our you know point earlier, where it takes a little while for some of these teams to get going. You know, we don't really know what their quarterback situation is going to be. Foles is, yes. Foles is Foles is banged up, and Wentz hasn't even been cleared yet. Um, then you get to to I'm kind of going through these teams. Minnesota. You know, they're going to be good. Let's just be real. Um, I don't think Kirk's going to that offensive line. That offensive line is a disaster. Every other t- part of that team, and I mean every other part of that team, is loaded. But that offensive line is a big old question mark. I'm just well, gonna say that. Well, good thing they they have a quarterback who likes to throw downfield. Um, right. Uh, then you have you have Green Bay. I mean, they got Aaron Rodgers to so sleep at that. Um, I think New Orleans kind of peaked last year. I I don't see them being able to recapture some of the magic they had. Um, but then again, uh, what's his name? Um, Alvin Kamara is like a <laughs> He's a stud. Um, Atlanta, kind of kind of great. The Rams are good. I mean, all these teams are good. They're going to beat up on each other. And my hope is that we'll get off to a fast start because I think kind of this year we need to get off to a fast start. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I hope with that confidence with who we are, we can, we can fight with these guys. I think the NFC East is a little – I think it's going to take a, a step back. Um, I do think the Giants, you, you don't seem high on them. I think actually they might be pretty good. I know you hate Eli, but um, like Odell just got paid. Um, Saquon is, yeah, I think he could be very good. Um, Shepard's not bad. Ingram's pretty good. Their, their line's going to be better this year than it was last year. Um, I actually am pretty high on the Giants. Uh, so 
I think we're kind of in the middle and I think we're that seven and nine window. And if the ball breaks our way, if we can, if we can not turn the ball over, uh, I think we have a chance. Um, you know, I think, I think we get to, I want to say we'll finish nine and seven if you had to put a gun to my head. Um, but I think that's where we fall. I think we're very, I think the NFC East is, or the NFC in general is just going to beat up on itself. If you had to like tell me in terms of like most hated historical figures, like to me, yeah. Dallas would be like Adolf Hitler, like that, that's Dallas. But then like the Giants to me would be Bin Laden. Like that, that's, that's how much I hate the Giants. It's very, very close to the Cowboys. Cowboys will always take the, the, the title of, you know, most despicable team in professional sports for me. That's just that, that there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. But um, the Giants are very, very close second in terms of how much I hate them in the NFL. So I'm always perpetually jaded by them. I, I, if I hope Dallas goes 0-16 every year, I hope the Giants go 1-15. Um, that's just my viewpoint. To your point about the schedule, so that's we touched much. on it a little a little bit in the best spot in the last podcast, Arizona and Indianapolis to start off at the Cardinals opening week, where four thirty kickoff to start off the, the start off the season against the Cardinals. I, I am, I don't like the Cardinals. If the Cardinals are picking number one in the NFL draft next season, I would not be the slightest bit surprised. That's how little I think of them. Defense still really, really good offense. Well, it's bad. And I know Fitzgerald is still there, but I mean, you got strong arm, Sam Bradford and Josh Rosen, who might be Jay Cutler 2.0. I like Rosen, but I also like Jay Cutler. So take that for what it's worth. Um, and that's about it. David Johnson is, you know, he's, he's awesome when healthy, but the big emphasis on when healthy. Indianapolis is a disaster. Um, we don't know what percentage of Andrew Luck we're getting back. So that's the start off the season. Two, two games to start off the season. We need two wins because take a look at the stretch after that, right? Home to Green Bay. They got that man, Aaron Rodgers early bye week what is it with the schedule makers fucking us with the early bye week every single year right so week four bye week which does no one any good uh at new orleans carolina i'm not that so high on carolina as mentioned home against dallas whatever at the giants never play well in new york home against atlanta that's fine atlanta is a, one of those t- dome teams that plays demonstrably worse on the road than they do at home at tampa bay could be in contention for the number one pick home to houston um Houston, I can make arguments on both sides. Our horrible offensive line. There's a few question marks on the defense, but then again, you've got Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, um, and you know guys like J.J. Watt, and that improved secondary, so whatever. And then you've got four of the last six on the road. One game against the Cowboys, Eagles, Jaguars, and Titans. I don't love either team this year, and I'm kind of a closet Jaguars fan. I can't really explain why. Um, even before they got good last year. But, you know, I, I think they're going to take a step back, but it's still a tough game. And then you end the season against the Eagles. Um, I mean, it, it's not really – like, you can't be like, all right, well, at least we got some soft spots. I mean, maybe the 11th November game against Tampa Bay is, like, one comfortable game to, like, kind of get right. But other than that, it, it's, it's, not, it's, it's tough. You know, we didn't get any benefits from being a sub-500 team last year. It is tough, um, especially the <laughs> – drawing the Packers back in the Saints – um, you know, at Jacksonville, um, the Texans at home is a little bit of a break, but you know, I think, you know, they said last year our schedule was going to be super hard. It ended up being kind of, you know, towards the higher yes. back. Um, you know, this is, this, this is just the reality of what the NFL is today. There's like one really good team you can count on and just throw all your money on the Patriots. After that, it's kind of like, well, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, I, the stretch is hard. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, but when I'm looking at the schedule, the the thing that scares me 
is just that four out of the last six on the road. Yep. Like if we're if we're not in contention, you know, then or if we're in contention, great. If we're not, then you know, we're not going to make up any ground from what I can tell. Having said that, we traditionally suck at FedEx Field, so who really cares? Um, yes. Really loving the no Monday night games. Do we have any Monday night games? No Monday night games at home. If we got one gift from the schedule makers, no Monday night games at home. Thank God. No, we have every Monday, Monday night game on the road. Games. It would be yeah. – yes, two games, the Saints and the Eagles. Yeah. I'm completely fine with them being, at, uh, being on the road because FedEx Field, as we've discussed at nauseum, is a house of horrors on Monday night. It is. Well, it's a house of horrors for a lot of reasons. Um, well, yes, that too. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think our schedule is what it is. Um, I'm still bullish around eight, nine wins, which again is kind of stuck in mediocrity, but uh, mediocrity, excuse me. Um, but if we can, if we can sneak it all, I mean, football is what it is, right? Like the ball bounces one way and you win the game, ball bounces the other way. We, you know, you win that game. Um, I think, I think we're about a nine, seven team. I think Rudin survives as long as we win seven. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, so, you know, my fingers crossed that as I was actually, this is kind of random off topic, but I was talking to one of my Redskins friends and he, he has his book. He said, we're going 11 and five. Uh, if you listen to this, Joe Monica, I'm talking about you. Um, he's all in on 11 and five. We haven't won 11 games since we won the Super Bowl. That was 1991. Uh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, so I think, I think I'll play it safe with the nine and seven. Um, and that's probably a bit of a Homer um, ruling there, but that's, that's where I see us just because I do think the NFC is just so crowded. Teams are just going to beat the hell out of each other. Is that, is really the best record we've had? How many times have we gone 10 and six? There was Shani's one year. That was the Griffin year. Oh yeah. Gibbs the second year. Gibbs, Gibbs. Gibbs second year. Um, and then Norv's when we won the NFC East. So it's three times since Gibbs retired that we've won double digit games. Yeah, so the Patriots we, have done that three years in a row. So Many years in a row, frankly. In 91, we went 14-2. and two. Yep. What, a, what a great year to be alive. Um, 92, we won nine, and then we won 10 games in 99. We won – that was the last time we won a pl- home playoff game. Um, and then we won 10 games 2005. 99. 2005. Oh, so you said 99. 2005, so yeah, that's where we were 5-6, and, and then and they ran the table. Yep. And then 2012, when they ran the table again, I think it was seven it was six straight, I believe it was. No, I think it was seven straight to end the season in, 2000, in 2012. It was three and six at one point, and then they ran the table the rest of the way. God, we suck. From 2009, the 2009 stretch to 2014, we won four games, six games, five games, outlier with 10, three and four. Like, <laughs> that's what you call not very good. Uh, yeah. Thank God for Zorn. Um, yeah, right. Three cheers. Uh, on that, on that ever so enthusiastic note, um, Patrick is awesome. We definitely have to do this several times during the season. Thank you again for your time. Yeah. Um, thank you for those who've made it this far into the podcast as I implore after every episode. If you haven't done so already, please make sure you subscribe to us on uh, iTunes. Leave some co- uh, follow us on SoundCloud. Leave us some commentary on the website. Make sure you check out Hills of the District over the next couple of weeks. We got a bunch of NFL, NFL stuff being dropped because of the season starting. So until then, thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Hills of the District podcast. 
be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.